The strategy is global. The basic things like mechanism of action, study design, the way we explain the results, those are global. Global can recommend tactics, but at the end of the day, what tactics and how to use them is completely localized. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pharma Sessions, the podcast where Medifair's professionals can learn from each other. In this episode, I talk global launch excellence with Jose Barboya Escazoba, a seasoned oncologist and pharma professional. There's a ton of detail here as we navigate the intricacies of pharma launches across different regions, from the challenges, regulatory timelines, the importance of local adaptation. Jose offers insights into the critical role medical affairs plays in ensuring successful launches. There's advice here if you're working at a country level, or even better, supporting countries from headquarters. So let's dive in. My name is Jose Borboya. I actually have a longer name. I have the two last names and the two first names, but I, I go by Jose Borboya. That's easier. <laughs> I'm Mexican. I'm a hematologist, oncologist by training. I practiced for about 16 years before joining pharma back in 2010 in Mexico. Where in Mexico were you? Oh, so I was living, back then I was living in Monterrey, which is in the northeast of Mexico, a large industrial city. And when I got hired for the first time, I came to live in Mexico City, which I had done in the past, but, but I came and lived in Mexico City and I was there for about, I want to say about five years. And in that interim, I took a, a one-year position in Germany with a company that I was working for. I came back to Mexico and then I left for good to go to the UK, where I was based also a number of years before coming to the US. And I've been in the US now for, let me see, since 2017, these being 2023, that would make it six years. I've been in the US for six years now. And an odd six years to be here given COVID and all of that, but um, belated welcome. So I think this, what we were going to talk about today is global launch excellence. And given your background and your professional experience, right? You're uniquely qualified to, to talk about this. So I'm curious, maybe starting back prior to moving to the U.S., were you involved in launch at a local level? Yes. So when I was in Mexico, we were involved in the pre-launch preparations for, for a molecule for the laboratory that I was, for the pharma company that I was working for back then. The pharma company itself had no very old pharmaceutical company, German, and, but had no, no recent experience in oncology. So it was, it was very much an educational effort and very much putting the name of the company out there and making the relationships with the, with the external stakeholders and the internal ones, by the way, the external mm-hmm. stakeholders. So yes, that was the launch preparation there. And then when I moved to the UK, when I was working for another pharma company, I was in charge of a lot of different markets and there were ongoing preparations for different launches which ended up happening for at least two of the compounds and different countries. When you're a regional, when you're on the regional level, you understand that there are different archetypes of countries from the medical affairs readiness standpoint. So you have to see it from, from the ground up. Do they, are they staffed correctly in terms of numbers and capabilities and are there appropriate plans in place and how did they arrive to those plans? So it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, a whole, uh, a whole series of steps that you have to take when you're doing this. Yeah. And so now from the U.S. perspective or working in the U.S. now, I'm assuming it's more or has been more of that model of 
centralized center of excellence than supporting global teams. I'm going to ask you a fairly broad question, but it's yeah. if you could wave a magic wand mm -hmm. and, and, and provide your ideal global launch, what does that look like? It, it, it's interesting because when I speak to a lot of the regional and the local colleagues in my global position, the word global launch is an odd phrase for a lot of people. It is recognized that global sets the broad strategy based on the expected results of particular clinical trials for particular indications. There, there's an expectation of a label or of an indication, which is, of course, uh, in line with the inclusion exclusion criteria of the clinical trial. But at the end of the day, global doesn't execute, right? Global doesn't mm -hmm. have MSLs. Global doesn't have local educational activities. Global doesn't normally engage in intensive um, stakeholder relations. And when I say stakeholders, of course, all sorts of stakeholders, not only the, the healthcare providers, but the whole environment. So when I say global launch, if you work in global, it makes a lot of sense because it's the preparation for, to help. How, how do we best help? How do we best put forward guidance and tools for the actual countries who are going to be doing the actual launch right. to get ready and to have a successful launch. So it, it, so I would say global launch is basically a process by which a company from the global perspective does everything they can, including setting the strategy, facilitating tools, identifying things, global trends that can impact a specific country, et cetera, to help the country launch. So let me share some of my assumptions and you can tell me if this is right or wrong. So what I'm assuming is that there's probably some portions of a launch that are uniform, yeah. right? The clinical trial data, the endpoints that you've achieved, probably a lot of your medical education materials are uniform. I'd imagine some of the things that are more localized or need to be adjusted by the local teams are things like dealing with national healthcare systems. I would imagine kind of the KOL relationships, right? The different understanding the patient journey at different parts of the world, I would assume would be quite different. What are some of the similarity or the uniform pieces and some of the other things that might need to be looked at regionally that might not be immediately obvious? Yeah. <clears throat> So I think that the, 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 as you mentioned, indication, the broad specifics, the, the broad strategies of the launch of the medical launch in terms of what is, where do we play in the, in the current treatment landscape, but even that suffers variations. So what I would say mm -hmm. is it's a broad, it's a broad set of strategic objectives it is a broad set of tactics, but we don't specifically indicate the tactics. We recommend them. But mm -hmm. for example, you, you made reference to the educational materials. You're right. Global does produce a lot of educational materials, but they need absolutely to undergo local reviews. So we can put out there, and, and, and I think this is a best practice, to put out there a wealth of things which the different countries can uh, review and decide mm -hmm. if it applies to them. Let me give you some let me give you some examples. Sometimes when we talk about the competitive landscape for a launch, 
Obviously, if you go in the US, it will look a certain way because you have competitors in the market. In the EMEA, it will relatively look similar. Europe has more or less, there's a lot of caveats, more or less similar therapeutic landscapes with a little slight different timing. But if you start going to other regions, my, the region that I belong to, Latin America, or if you go to Asia, or if you go to North Africa, or if you go to other regions, then the landscape can be completely different. And then the assumptions you made and even the materials you prepare may not be applicable at all because mm -hmm. some of the competitors you're referring to may not even be present there yet, or there might be at another stage. So it's a lot of... It's a lot of things that you need to put out there. The strategy mm -hmm. need to be, needs to be exactly the same, but the different regions and the different countries will be taking it up and using it according to their own needs at the time they launch. And I'm not even getting into the different times of launch where you have a launch in the US and then maybe six months later in Europe and then maybe at the same time in Japan. And then right. a lot of the other countries will start coming in two years later, three years later, four years later, it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I've been involved in a lot of drug launches from a vendor side, supporting, supporting pharma. And what you're describing is often what we would see regardless of company. It's like us first, maybe it used to be called the EU five. Now it's whatever they call it. EU plus U plus UK, exactly. <laughs> Japan. But then you get into the situation where, let's say Latin America, right? There might be one, one MSL covering maybe an entire country yeah. or a very large country or a set of three countries is not uncommon. I guess what my question is, how do you provide materials to that work both for the major markets, as well as for countries like that, where they're just any way you cut it, much more resource constrained with how they support things. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the, the answer needs to start with each country needs to, or, or region needs to decide what it needs, what it's applicable to them. And your point is absolutely valid, right? There are some, when I've worked Brazil, for example, sometimes you have this continent size country and sometimes you have right. BMSLs to cover it all. You think, how are they going to do it? At the end of the day, the local a strategy uh, a person or the local medical strategy person together with the local field medical head, they make those decisions. What you can do from a global standpoint is you need to provide materials that are versatile enough so that they can be tailored to what they need. Of course, needless to say, regulations are different. A lot of different things you can do in some countries and you cannot do in others. But I would say that, that you need to be ready to be as flexible as you can with the mm -hmm. tactics you offer. And there are some tactics from the global standpoint that you can actually do, especially educational events or congresses. Now, omnichannel approach to a lot of um, healthcare providers, mostly in different countries via digital platforms, et cetera. You can do those from mm -hmm. global, but really it's basically up to the local strategy and field medical to make those decisions. Yeah, that's really interesting because I would assume, I'm glad you brought up kind of omni-channel because it leads into this idea of technology as maybe a way to cut across that because if you're on a PC, right, or if you're on a laptop, it doesn't, or phone, it doesn't matter if you're next door or if you're 3,000 miles away. Do you, have you seen that 
but like the it's all everything's a double-edged sword and the flip side of that is like the really good technology costs money and that's the people that need it the most might have the the least money again so how do you walk that tightrope of of enabling global teams with tech and are they supported finance budget-wise from us or other yeah offices? so i think and and my colleagues that i've had the pleasure of working with in, in different pharma companies will have their own they know that different companies have different regulations as it pertains to this there are there are companies that that actually do a heavy global investment in medical affairs so that global can become the provider of all this centralized educational opportunities via platforms or even face to face i remember in, in a couple of companies doing large educational uh, symposiums at, at, at global congresses and I work basically oncology. So I would say at your ASCOs, at your ESMOs, and right. they would do their educational, their globally sponsored educational activities. Um, but I think even though you have to move very carefully with the local regulations and even with U.S. regulation, if your global position is based in the U.S. in terms of what you can put up and what you can't, because to your point, you're right, the regulatory agencies and our compliance and legal people rightfully so get very nervous when you are putting messages out there that are probably correct for one or two countries and probably uncompliant for another three or four. Right. So, how, so how do you how do you stop those? Because you, you can't, right? Yeah. There have always been activities where you have to register and depending where you're from, you're allowed in or not. That is, that is one possibility. But normally it, it's like open uh, access things that we go for. So then we go more for the more basic educational activities like DC state mechanism of action, et cetera, more than from a pharma company standpoint, get right. into finer data discussions, contrasting results, et cetera. Right. So there you can imagine a scenario where there's either different sets of materials where these are the standard ones that the MOA is the MOA, right? No matter where in the world it's delivered yeah. or even let's say it's a big, a big, your, your Bible, your big PowerPoint deck of 80 some odd slides. Right? And these are the things that compliance says must be delivered verbatim or essentially verbatim. And these are the pieces where you are allowed to position it differently. Is that essentially the scenario or is that not quite right? Yeah. There are the, the things to your point, the MOA, for example, all the epidemiological part of it, all of that's universal, right? In your yeah. country, you would do epidemiological, you would localize your epidemiological data so that it makes sense. The, the MOA remains the same. The, the, the clinical trial design, the results, absolutely the same. The discussion on the clinical trial... Not the discussion, because that sounds like you are, you're being proactive and you should never be proactive with this when you're out speaking with the HCPs, at least on field medical, et cetera. But the discussions or how to go about answering questions regarding, for example, a competitor that might be a global competitor versus a competitor that might only be, there might be the dominant competitor in one country and maybe not in the others. That is completely a localized thing. So what I would say is, when we're working on a global launch readiness uh, uh, mechanism, right, where global kind of organizes these meetings with the local affiliates to say, okay, guys, where are you? How can I help, et cetera? There's always, always this clear distinction about, okay, this is, 
this is non-negotiable. You country cannot come up with your own MOA, right? That, that, that would be crazy. Uh, the way we're presenting the clinical data, this is the way we are presenting the clinical data. That's also non-negotiable. But there are a, a lot of things that influence on the tact or can be influential in the tactical space that are related to your specific circumstance, right? You know what? Mm -hmm. the, the competitor that you have in the U.S. and in Europe, that is not my biggest competitor. My biggest competitor here is this. Therefore, I need to get ready to answer questions about this, not about that necessarily. So I would say that is that is the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So can I ask, one, one of the topics that I think is always fascinating is around team building. Because, and I'm just curious, as you're describing all of this and this need to contextualize and this need to personalize, when you're recruiting for the at, for these country level positions, are you looking for the same skill set as, say, your counterpart overseeing U.S.? Are you looking for a different skill set? I'm imagining in the U.S., for example, it might be more about uh, execution. Uh, than it is about perhaps this type of strategy work. But can you just talk about what you look for as you're building out these global teams? Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and, and I guess it has to do with what stage the company that we're referring to is, as it pertains to the launch that's upcoming. I, I, what do you mean by that? So let me give you an example. If you're, If this is the first time this company will launch this molecule in this indication or in this therapeutic area, let's say this is the first time you're in cardiology, you've never had a cardiology launch, you've had other launches, then I think you need to go heavy on the strategic part probably earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier, mm -hmm. more on the strategic part. Um, the MS, the profile of the field medical colleague, I think it's very similar regardless of the country with some, maybe with some small differences, okay? So, of course, scientific credibility, the capacity to engage in a high-level scientific discussion, all of that is universally needed for any field medical person. They also need to have strategic input into what headquarters is doing or not doing, capacity to bring insights, etc. That is universal. So mm -hmm. what I would say is the, the field medical, I think it's more similar, although if you have an MSL, for example, that is having a lot of contacts with basic researchers, you would probably want to put someone with more of that experience than someone with more clinical experience, just so that the level of the conversation is the same. But besides that, I wouldn't think that at the field medical, there would be a lot of differences, whereas at the strategic level, there would probably will be some more differences depending on that stage of the company knowledge on the therapeutic area. Yeah, that's very interesting. So let me ask a, a different line of questioning, because one of the things you mentioned earlier struck, stuck with me, which was this idea of a staggered rollout, right? Where oftentimes it's the, the bigger markets first, US, EU, UK, Japan, yeah. maybe Brazil, Russia, India, China, right? But then there's a, that leaves out a lot of countries, right? And then Metafairs, the idea is patient first, we want to get medicine in the hands of the people that need it as quickly as possible. Where do you see there are opportunities to move faster, to get medicine to people in some of these, if you're say, let's say you're in Paraguay, right? Or you're yeah. in one of these countries that often goes last, where are there yeah. opportunities to move faster? That, that, that's a good question. So, so I can answer from two standpoints. From a regulatory standpoint, I don't think any pharma company doesn't move as fast as they can. <laughs> 
in all right. countries. So in, right. in a lot of cases, I would say in the vast majority of cases, it is a normally a, a regulatory local uh, issue. And that has two, two variants. One is just getting approved in the country can be very difficult. It can take a long time. But more often than not, it's getting reimbursed in that country. In many countries, such my country, I'm Mexican, but I know for a fact that this happens in many countries in Latin America. I know that it happens in many countries in Asia. It is not the same to get your regulatory approval than to get your re than to get reimbursed. So to get into the formularies normally, right? So you need mm. to get into the public health system or systems, depending on the country, you need to get on the formulary. And it is unfortunately not uncommon to have drugs that are actually available. You can get a prescription, go to the drugstore and buy it. The patient can do that, but they will not be supplied to you by the by by your payer, by your social security, your charity, whatever it is that you you're affiliated with until a, a significantly longer time passes by and it goes through another approval process. So that is one thing, right? What can the pharma companies do? And I think we're doing the best we can. I, I, I'm really sincere. I think it's more of a procedure within the country. But nonetheless, your point is still very valid. Look, it's been approved in the US. It's been approved in France. And I have a patient here in wherever you, small country, anywhere you want. And I don't see it even starting the process here. What can I do? Most pharmaceutical companies for most drugs have managed access programs. And depending on the pharma company and depending on the type of compound, this managed access programs allow for drug to be provided for your patient in your country, provided some things like it's not approved, it's not, it's not, it's right. not registered. You use it for the correct indication that it's been approved in other countries, etc. But there are ways, even I should say, for indications that are not necessarily approved somewhere else, physicians can still go to the, it's normally a portal, and ask uh, for this and fill paper, fill out paperwork, and you have to go to your regulatory agencies, et cetera. Lengthy process, but it's done. I, I know for a fact that it's done. Is are, has this been a long, around so long that physicians at a local level just understand that this is available or are educating on how to overcome the access challenges part of a yeah. launch? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. No, as part of a launch, I know of no pharmaceutical company that proactively proactively goes out and says, I have this drug that is not registered in your country. This is the way for you to get it legally. Yeah. Maybe there are, I just don't know them. It is, however, it is, however, very important that if there is a managed access program in the country, in the pre-launch phase, which can be 18 months previous, 24 months previous, etc., the field medical people who are normally, not the only ones, but who are mostly speaking to the HCPs, have knowledge of this and be able to say, I'm here to talk about this mechanism of action. I'm here to understand the landscape of this disease, et cetera, et cetera. And if I get the question from a physician, look, I know you guys just launched drug X in this country. When am I going to be able to get it? I have a patient. Then, then you should be able to say, listen, uh, it's not registered, but there is this program, this managed access, and this is the website, and this is the way you can get to it, et cetera, et cetera. So again, not as a tactic or a part of a launch by any means, right. but I think this that we should be able to communicate this in pre-launch settings. Well, and it naturally, to me anyway, seems to go very nicely with the mission of medical affairs, right? Which is patient first, help patients and 
it's not a commercial part of the organization, right? So we are here to get the right drugs to, to the right patients and be supportive to the local providers. Correct. Being very respectful of the regulatory timelines of each country, of course. And, and, and again, these managed access programs necessarily pass through the respective right. Ministry of Health or regulatory authorities, et cetera. So they actually approve it. So it's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's funny. In a past role, I used to do a lot of virtual ad boards and the KOL ones, the patient ones, those always made a lot of sense. And when I would work with the global access or HOR teams and they'd have all of these different ministers of health or this, that, and the other thing, I was like, that it seems like one of the most challenging jobs in Pharma is managing everybody's different bureaucracies and policies and regulations and everything like that. But that's a great point because it it leads me to the access part. So more and more medical affairs is playing an even more important role in educating and informing this non-clinical decision makers. So the access or value and access or whatever the different companies call it, areas in the different countries, I agree with you. That is very tough. That's very tough work, but more and more they call upon the medical affairs colleague to do presentations, to solve the questions that the regulatory may have, et cetera, et cetera. Amongst other things, uh, medical affairs amongst other places is branching out very importantly into helping access with their tactics, which now, you know, normally call upon medical affairs to educate. Yeah. That's a big thing. Very interesting. All right, so I'm going to try something different with the last question here, and I want to apologize in advance for my accent, particularly to any native Spanish speakers, but I want to give you the opportunity to answer the final question in your native tongue. Hay algo que le gustaría compartir con sus colegas en América Latina? Sí, te agradezco mucho tu pregunta y el esfuerzo en hacerla en español. Yo creo que el mensaje en lo que se refiere a, a lanzamiento de nuevas drogas, launch y a la preparación del lanzamiento, es que tiene que ser, que, que es, es fundamentalmente un esfuerzo local apoyado por materiales, estrategia eh, y tácticas globales. Pero al final del día es un esfuerzo local. Y, y mis colegas de los países hispanoparlantes que tienen eh, líderes regionales o líderes globales en Medical Affairs deben de ser muy puntuales en lo que le piden a su global o a su regional en términos de guía estratégica y en términos de, de materiales. That was it. I hope you got that. <laughs> 100%. Jose, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, pleasure talking with you.